This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and happy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. More Canadians are now living alone than ever before. In fact, new research says the number more than doubled over the last 35 years. We look into the reasons driving the trend. And 7 in 10 Canadians think they can detect an internet scam. But a recent study found that in reality, most were unable to identify emails sent by hackers when put to the test. We'll have tips on how to protect yourself from the latest scams. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. St. Patrick's Day, we take a look at the Irish-Canadian connection. The Irish have been part of our fabric since John Cabot arrived in Newfoundland at the end of the 15th century. Up to 4 million Canadians can trace some Irish ancestry. Some notable Irish-Canadians include philosopher and media expert Marshall McLuhan, politician John Crosby, a father of Confederation, Darcy McGee, opera singer Maureen Forrester, and Timothy Eaton, who opened retail giant Eaton's. More than half of Canadians are having trouble following the new Canada's food guide. Researchers found more than 52% of consumers surveyed said they can't or won't follow the recommendations of the guide released earlier this year because of cost, taste preference, diet restrictions, or lack of time. Lead author Sylvain Charlebois says the results show a disconnect between Health Canada's guide and the reality of Canadians' lives. Buzz Aldrin, the Apollo 11 astronaut who walked on the moon, says he and his two children have resolved their legal battles over guardianship of his legacy and money. The announcement comes a few months before the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission this July. On that flight, Neil Armstrong and Colonel Aldrin were the first men to walk on the moon's surface. In a statement, Aldrin said the dismissal of both legal matters is the right thing to do and will help restore family harmony. One of the last survivors of World War II's Great Escape died this week at 101. Jack Lyon's death comes just days before the 75th anniversary of the courageous getaway that was turned into a Hollywood movie. He was lookout during the 1944 escape, but the tunnel was uncovered before he could get out. None of the 76 who escaped from the Nazi camp is now alive. 73 were immediately recaptured and most were executed. Lyon said the bungled escape plot likely saved his life. Less than a week after sharing news of his stage 4 pancreatic cancer diagnosis, Alex Trebek was back at work this week on the game show Jeopardy. The Canadian-born TV icon promised to return to work when he announced his 
diagnosis in a video on the show's YouTube channel. Fans around the world have rallied around him since he revealed he plans to fight the disease despite the low survival rate statistics. Social media accounts for Jeopardy! posted a thank you message thanking fans for their outpouring of good wishes for the 78-year-old Trebek. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. An unprecedented one in six Canadian adults is living alone, whether by choice or circumstance. Statistics Canada found more than a quarter of Zoomers over 65 are solo dwellers, a number that's actually declining in part because men are living longer. Nora Spinks, CEO of the Vanier Institute of the Family, unpacks the trend. The numbers show that there's an increase in solo living right from age 20 on up and right through the middle adult years as well. So if you're in your 20s and 30s, it's likely because you haven't yet partnered. If you're between your sort of 30s and 60s, it's because you've ended a relationship and now you're living solo. And most of those are men. Men are disproportionately living solo in that age spectrum because women still tend to get the children after a divorce or separation. And then you have the older, and historically that was almost always women who were widows living alone, and now there's both widows and widowers. And some are by choice. Some are saying, hey, I'm perfectly happy living alone, and others it's circumstantial and they have no choice. How much of this is because of divorce? We do know that there's an increase in gray divorce, for example, but it also we've also got some really interesting data on people who are in relationships that live in separate households. We call those lat families, living mm. apart together. Right. And that's where you're in a committed relationship, but you've chosen not to merge households. And that might be because of divorce. So you've got kids, I've got kids, we don't want to mix them together, you know, the age groups just don't work. Or, you know, we've been apart for a while, and or living independently and solo for a while, and just the idea of merging households and learning all of those negotiations around who puts what where, people don't want to do that again. Now we have condos that are designed specifically for solo living, and people can be very socially connected and living solo. Solo doesn't necessarily mean that they're alone, or being alone doesn't necessarily mean lonely. Some age groups and demographic groups do really well living alone, but others don't. So you've said that people who are used to being alone do really well. Who else does well with this? If you are living alone, but you have a good circle of friends and you're engaged in community and you're, you're active outside of home, then you can be very happy and very successful. If, on the other hand, you either don't speak the language or you don't know anybody and you don't go out anywhere, then it can be very isolating and you can become very secluded. We do know that men who live alone tend to engage in community differently. So there's different kinds of opportunities for men living solo to connect with other men, but also to connect with other people, women. And so there's not the same kind of clubs or networks or casual gatherings that women can gravitate to. But there are some that are becoming more readily available. This report also shows that actually older women who are living alone are the best at it. 
And I know many widows that after they are over the worst part of their grieving, it's like, yay, I'm by myself. What we do see with women is often serial caregiving. So they join a relationship, and then they have children, and then they look after their parents, and then they look after their spouse, and then and then they're alone. And it's like, whoa, now I get to care for me, and I get to do what I want to do, and I don't have to negotiate with anybody or put anybody else's needs ahead of mine. And for some women, that's very liberating. So what's happening is that those women, they're either living alone if they can afford to, or they're forming multi-generational households with their children or their grandchildren, or they're forming creative living arrangements with other women, either different generations or increasingly same generation. We keep learning more and more about the dangers of social isolation. So is this trend to people living alone something that we should try to stem? Well, it's not so much living alone, it's the loneliness. And we want to make sure that people who are living alone don't become isolated and secluded and alone, and that brings all kinds of risks for health and mental health risks, safety risks of falling or needing care, or just emotional and social disconnection. And both of those lead to negative health outcomes. With the diversity of families that we have today, I think there will be more opportunities for the next generation of seniors to choose what's right for them and not sort of be caught in what society thinks they should have. Okay. Nora Spinks, thanks so much for being with us. Always a pleasure. That was Nora Spinks with the Vanier Institute of the Family. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Can you spot a reel from a fake? Apparently, many of us cannot. A recent survey conducted by Interact found 96% were unable to identify a scam. And the Competition Bureau of Canada says Canadians lost $97 million to fraud last year. That's why officials are bringing us up to speed on the new and ongoing scams during this Fraud Awareness Month. I chatted with Sergeant Guy Paul Larocque of the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. A couple of years ago, it was easily noticeable, like obvious uh, spelling mistakes or things that were not just fitting right. And it seems now as we progress that scammers are adapting their method or techniques to be able to better uh, hide uh, the truth in order to uh, scam victims. What are some of the most popular scams right now? We're getting close to tax season, and usually during that time, we always see scams around the Revenue Canada agency climbing up around this time of the year. What we tell people is to always be careful when they order something that's on the premise that it is a free trial, and then that they're, they should always be cautious when they ask for a payment method to pay for the shipping of the goods, or that they need to secure a credit card number in order for the company to ship the free product. And there's always going to be fine print. Sometimes those fine prints are not going to be obvious for people to see it. Or if not, sometimes people will always be too quick to uh, to sign off and without 
reading the whole document. And usually those are done in also to trick people into getting them into like a monthly or weekly subscription. So we always advise people to be very careful when they uh, provide a credit card payment for such uh, orders and make sure to read all the fine prints. What's the computer technician scam? That will usually come in as a, whether a pop-up or a phone call. So when I say a pop-up, it's uh, something that will pop on the computer screen of a potential victim. And scammers will claim that they're a computer technician, that there's a problem with the client's or the victim's computer, and they'll ask to gain remote access to in order to do their thing or to examine the computer. And, of course, that will come with a cause because they're always going to find out or come up with uh, a bogus problem telling people, well, your computer is insecure, you need to purchase a fancy virus, or if not, uh, this this file is corrupt and I can fix that, but to here's the what's going to be the cost to fix it, and they're going to push for even like a service agreement that usually is worth more than the value of the computer itself, Like, and people sometimes think it's a good deal, but it's actually not. So we always advise people promoting a safe computer hygiene, which is like a good example, be, being cautious when they uh, open an attachment on a file without knowing exactly where it's coming from, and also to make sure that the operating system is kept up to date, that they have good functioning antivirus, and that the various definitions are kept up to date as well to prevent malicious files being installed on the computer. Is it true that the romance scam is still one of the top scams? Unfortunately, it is, and by far last year, it was the one that cost Canadians like the most amount of the biggest amount of money per individuals. Like that was a scam that was costing them a lot. Like uh, on average loss per victim, it was at least twenty-five grand. People have to be very cautious when they meet someone online, and that there's a couple of red flags that they should not ignore. The most common one is the person that you've met comes up with all kinds of excuse to actually meet you in person. That's probably one of the most common red flags that we see in those romance games. The scammers in that instance will always portray themselves as having like almost a perfect life, except that they don't have someone to share their life with. Like They're going to have a great job, uh, they're going to show themselves probably as being uh, someone local but working on a remote location like overseas or a remote area. And then they'll build up on a relationship with a potential victim and until they feel that they've gained that trust. Sadly enough is that victims will only realize that they've been conned when it's far too late, like when they've committed like 100 grand, 200 grand, and that their basically assets are at risk. What's the emergency scam? That one is the one where mostly seniors that are being targeted receive a call from uh, someone that they believe to be a family member. And the most common variation that we have is uh, the grandson or the grandchild. Something terrible will have happened to them, whether they got into an accident or they got arrested by the police and they are being detained, for example. And in that case, they'll request money to be able to be granted a bail to be out of jail until uh, the legal proceedings are starting. They will target a mass amount of victims, and for them, I mean, as long as they can get even a small pool of victims, it's still very uh, profitable for them. And that's probably why it still works. Sometimes people think they can figure out there's a scam going on, but 
sometimes when a scammers provide you with information that you already know to be true, then it makes it a little bit more confusing for you to be able to recognize that it is a scam. They offer you a lower interest rate on your credit card in exchange of a fee. And the thing with that pitch sometimes is that people don't realize it's being offered by a third party, which is, has no connections with your credit card. So that's, that's something that people have to be worried about and, and to actually question. How do we stay on top of all of this? The best word of advice in that is not to act on pressure because the scammers are pressuring people to make a decision pretty fast. Go with your gut feeling. Like If it doesn't feel right, it's probably because it's not right. That was RCMP Sergeant Guy Paul Larocque. I'm Libby Zneimer and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In Florence, Italy, you'll be able to enjoy the historic Ponte Vecchio minus the graffiti, courtesy of a laser that restores art without damaging the material underneath. In Paris, a three-story sustainable floating building dedicated entirely to urban art has docked on the banks of the Seine. Fluctuart officially opens in May. A T-Rex is the massive killing machine and mega predator that greets you at the American Museum of Natural History in New York as that museum celebrates its 150th anniversary. And this weekend's premiere of The Little Prince is sold out at the alma mater of European opera, the National Theatre in Prague. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Before we end this week's program, let's celebrate St. Patrick's Day with music from one of Ireland's top artists, Van Morrison. Born in Belfast in 1945, Morrison grew up an only child in a household full of music. His father had what's believed to be the biggest record collection in Belfast, and the young Morrison grew up listening to artists such as Jelly Roll Morton, Ray Charles, Sonny Terry, and Solomon Burke. Given an acoustic guitar at 11 years old, the youngster started a band just a year later. In high school, he played in a number of local bands across Northern Ireland. In 1964, he formed the group Them and wrote a popular hit, Gloria. Two years later, he quit the band to begin a solo career, and over the years, he's become celebrated for his ability to write and sing just about any genre of music, from rock to pop, jazz, Celtic, gospel, and country. Right now, we'll travel back to 1967 and hear the hit that launched him into international fame. Here is... Brown-Eyed Girl. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. Down in the hollow. That was Van Morrison with Brown-Eyed Girl, a little St. Patrick's Day celebration with one of Ireland's most enduring musicians. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.